Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast with your host, Janaid Iqbal. Today's guest has one of the craziest stories you'll ever hear. From dropping out of high school at 15 to owning five companies today, Robert Conakan has so much to offer. He is the CEO of both Aerial Look and Proficient Auto Mobile Mechanics. And these are just some of his companies. He's going to do even more in the future. And I know there are so many things you can take away from this episode. Remember, please subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show isn't possible without you. Let's get this show started. Today, we have Robert Konakamp on the No Degree Podcast, and I'll let him give a brief introduction of what he does and the things he's involved in. What's up, Robert? Hey, Joe how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on the show. I had to have you on the show. Once I heard your story, it was a no-brainer. Appreciate that. Um, so yeah, uh, my name is Robert Konakamp. I'm 31 years old. I have a portfolio of companies. I have about five companies in that portfolio, and I focus on automotive, housing, and hemp. And so those are the three industries that um, those companies encompass. And I moved out at 15 and I dropped out of high school and I didn't go to college. A lot of the success that I've experienced up to this point and that I'll experience in the future can be attributed to the experiences that I had dropping out and living life and experiencing how to start a business from nothing without the knowledge you know, that you would normally pick up, maybe going to school and I learned a lot from that. So you mentioned how you dropped out at 15. Why was that? You know, what were the situations regarding that? I moved out of my house. Um, I have a twin brother. And at 15, we decided that home life wasn't conducive to our growth and wanted to move out. So we left home and never looked back. You know, when you're that young, you're naive. And so you don't think about the consequences. And that was a blessing in disguise because if, you know, I would never turn back time and change anything. Everything that needed to happen happened the way that it happened for a reason. And it's made me who I am today and who I'll be tomorrow. And so that's very important. It's great that I was able to go out at such a young age because uh, and, and being so naive because, yeah, I made mistakes, but I was never held up from taking a risk because you didn't really think about risk at that point. Whereas you get older, you start to think about risk and you think about how you have to measure your risk. And a lot of people don't even like to put themselves at any risk, right? So they, they just like stability and they want to maintain. So I was happy to be able to start at a young age because it allowed me to, you know, not conform to, you know, the way society would normally tell you how to grow. No, thank you for sharing that. Cause yeah, I think we all have things in our past that we wish were different. We sort of needed those things to grow into the people we are today. You dropped out at 15. So we're the next steps. Like what'd you end up doing and what were some of the decisions you made after that? Right when we dropped out, it was like the summer. And so we spent the summer, you know, we stayed at a friend's house. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of older friends. So we'd go hang out with them, we'd go to parties and go to college parties and so forth. And you know, that was a great time. But then at the end of summer, I kind of realized that, you know, okay, well, we need to figure out what we're going to do because this is not a growth mindset, right? That we're living on our own. We need to provide for ourselves. So we kind of woke up. So we had our fun, but then we woke up pretty quickly because we said, well, how are we going to continue to live if we don't have any sort of revenue coming in? I tried to go to school for, you know, I would say until October, I made it. 
And then in October, I had to drop out because at that point, it was difficult to go to school and work. Me and my brother went to the mall and we got a job at the mall, the Israelis. So the Israelis, they come in around Christmas time and they open up the kiosk in the mall and they sell skin lotions and electronics and all kinds of stuff. At 15, you know, we're illegal, basically. We can work, but only a certain amount of hours. It's very hard to get around because you don't have transportation. You have a lot of uh, odds against you because if someone finds out that you're living on your own and wants to report you, then you're stuck with that. It was kind of a, a weird situation to be in looking for a job. But I looked at the Israelis and I said, man, all these guys have tourist visas. And that's definitely not legal to work, right? And so I felt like that'd be the best place to go work would be the place that was hiring all these people on tourist visas. And so I met the owner. His name was Atav. And I told him our situation. I said, me and my brother would love to work. We just moved out of our house. And so he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 20% commission and I will um, give you a place to live. Me and my brother, we lived in a two-bedroom apartment with seven Israelis. We would sleep on the floor every night. We would use whatever clothes we had on that day to you know, cover ourselves because you know, they didn't have heat or anything like that. But it was some of the best times that we had. We learned sales from the best, the Israelis. We got to learn about their culture. We got to learn about different things that you normally don't get to learn about at the age of 15. That was a great start to our sales career. You know, you'd be walking down the mall. And my twin brother, he would take a picture of you. And by the time you got to the kiosk, he had it printed up in a mug or in a mouse pad or on a sheet, of, you know, on a frame. And he would sell it to you. And, and that's what he had to do to make 20% commission. To make, and he would, he would make the best sale. You know, he would get all the sales, right? And then me, I had the, was at the video games stand. And there were these like knockoff video games that probably cost like 20 or $30. And he'd sell them at no less than 60, but you could go up from there. And of course, I would, you know, I would gauge the, the mom or the dad and base it upon... Sorry to say this, but how wealthy they were. And of course, yeah, I mean, that's sales. Gauge, exactly. Yeah, and I would gauge how, how much I would charge them. So some people I'd charge 60, but other people would pay 300, right? It was great to be able to understand a business and, and understand how to sell at such a young age. And then kind of got out of that and, you know, worked in and out of the mall. I think that there was this uh, kiosk that was right next to mine, and it was a candle company. She had sold candles, but they also had like a Kama Sutra bucket that they would sell. And so you had to be 18 to work there. But she saw me work all um, Christmas and she loved, you know, she saw how good I was in sales. And so she said, I'd love to give you a job. And so I lied about my age. I said I was 18 and she gave me the job. And so I ended up doing so well at that kiosk that she said, Robert, I want you to come, you know, move into Greenville and you can be our merchandise manager and travel to our different stores across the you know, region. I did that for a short period of time because I moved out to Greenville, North Carolina. And it was so boring. I couldn't stand it. So I got out of went back to Raleigh. The next part of my life is a bit, you know, I don't mind bringing it up because it brought, it made me who I am today. And it gave me the faith that I have in God. And, and that's driven my success and my career and my family. And so I saw my brother, he, he started to sell weed. I was, I was against that and thought it was stupid. Now weed, of course, is legal in different states. And you can definitely get into the, the business and make money and you can do it legally. But at that time, it was frowned upon. Of course, it wasn't legal. I saw him do that and I thought that there was ways to make money. But to, you look at it from a corporate mindset. It's crazy to say that because you're, you're only 17 at the time. I saw him get arrested because he was selling the kids like quarterbacks, right? <laughs> to high school kids. Of course, you know, the first person that gets caught is going to tell them where they got it. I kind of analyzed that situation. I said, God, this is such a great opportunity to make money, but he didn't do it the right way. And I said to myself, 
you know, I was so against it. But at one point I was like, man, I really need to make money. And, you know, I'm a high school dropout. I don't have my GED. I'm not going to college. I live on my own. I don't have any backup. I have nobody I can turn to to help me other than myself and God. And of course, I wasn't thinking about God at that time. I said, all right, let me uh, see what I can do. I kind of thought of it like, hey, well, to get the cheapest price, you have to go to the grower, the wholesaler, right? And if you can sell volume, someone who's also selling volume, you reduce the amount of people that you do business with, which then reduces your risk. I'm thinking like this is 17. And so I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And so I, I know the Vietnamese that they, that they sell the wheat in town. So I go meet them and I say, hey, I can get rid of this stuff for you. And then there was one um, client that my brother had that was an older gentleman. And I knew that he was able to move product and that he was also older and probably would be you know, more loyal in terms of not getting in trouble. He's smart, right? I, I also gave it to him. And the next thing you know, you know, it starts to take off. And then me and my brother both start, you know, my brother comes to me and says, Hey, you know, I want to be a part of this. And I told him I wasn't going to mix business with family. And I didn't agree with the way that he did business and so forth, but he made me feel bad about it. And so we ended up working together. And then that kind of turned into a, a large corporation, if you call it, because we we were both very good at selling and we both were very good at working deals out and um, networking. And you would think like, you know, all these different things, working deals, networking, selling, all these things are associated with, you know, the legal business, day-to-day operations of corporations, right? And we're 17 years old and 18 years old, you know, thinking and acting like this. And we create a lot of experience. It's not like I'm proud of doing that, but doing that at that time taught me more about business than any Harvard, Yale, or any kind of organization, educational organization or institution. So I got to learn throughout my teenage years about sales from different aspects, starting at the mall, then going on to the streets. Then I also learned how to read people. And and knowing how to read people is one of the most important skill sets that you can have in addition to emotional intelligence as you scale up your success, your career, your life, your family, and so forth. And if you don't have those two things, there's many other things you need, but those two things are so important. When you get to gain life experience, you're going to see things from a different perspective. And when you get to go out on the street, you're going to learn how to read people better than anybody else has ever learned how to read anybody because reading people is the difference between life and death or prison and freedom. And at least at that point in, in, in my life when we were doing those things, I believe that we would experience those things for a reason, because without that experience, we, w- we both wouldn't have the mindset that we currently have today. And I don't think that we would be where we're at today in life. And so I bring that up not to, to because I'm proud of it, but I bring it up because I want people to understand that you can literally come from anywhere, any place, at any point in time, whether you're young or old. You can come from nothing and you can create success and opportunity and wealth. It's never been so easy like it is now because of technology. Thank you for sharing that experience. And the fact is that ultimately a business sells you sell something, right? And it doesn't matter what. Some people sell pens. Some people sell expensive luxury items. Some people sell boats and planes. But at at the end of the day, it's a business, right? And every business has processes and all that. So now going back. You mentioned that you did business with your brother. How was that? Because they commonly say, don't do business with family. And you even said that. But in your situation, you sort of had, right? You're so close to your brother. You have a shared experience. And how was that? And what were some things you learned along that? Doing business with my brother had to happen. You know, it was part of our journey. And it's 
having a partner like your twin brother who's got your back definitely is a plus and vice versa for him and, and for myself. I didn't like the way he did business. We both had our own different ways of doing business and we still do to this day and we're both successful in our own ways. It was a blessing to have him next to me and vice versa because we kept each other safe. And when you're in that type of environment, you know, you don't have many friends and, you know, anybody will turn on you no matter what, because there's a lot of up for, at stake in certain people's circumstances, right? The great part of this story is, is that I never got arrested for anything associated with selling weed. My brother got arrested one time, but he was able to get out of it. Um, the fact that we were able to do what we did and, and, and be safe is first off supernatural. It's a miracle to us. Part of it is because me and my brother kept each other safe. We had each other to rely on. We've had always had each other to rely on. At 15, I told my brother, I said, get your stuff, we're leaving. And we both packed, I remember, three bags of clothes in Publix bags. Not Publix, but like Harris Tea or whatever. Um, and we walked down the street. I remember that our neighbor rolled by and she rolled down the window and she was like, hey, where are you guys going? Do you need a ride? She was looking at us weird. Why are the kids walking down the street with bags of clothes? And we were like, no, we're going to our friend's house. And we went over to the elementary school right next to our house and sat there. Me and my brother, that's all we had at that point. From that moment on, it was me and my brother. And, you know, we parted ways as we got older because I went a different way and he went a different way. But till this day, we always had that connection. You were in the, the drug business. What happened after that? Why did you sort of get out? What were the next steps? 21, no, I was at 20 years old, sorry. I was just sitting in my room one night and I started to think about all the different times that me and my brother should have been removed from this world or put in jail. And it wasn't just once or twice or 10 times or a hundred times. I mean, it was like, it was a lot. It was so many times that you start, it's supernatural. There's no question about it. For me, I started to believe that, wait a second, you know, I grew up learning about God and I went to Catholic school and I was raised Christian. I said, wait a second, you know, I didn't have to read about this or hear about it from somebody. I experienced it. I experienced these supernatural instances where me and my brother should have been literally dead or in jail, and we were saved every time. And then you could say, well, why did they pick you? Or what everybody wants to say, I don't have that answer, and I don't know. But all I can say is what I know and understand from the circumstances was that we're not supposed to be here. And the fact that we are is a blessing, and it's an honor. I said, I can't continue to slap you and slap God in the face by continuing to, you know, sell weed and do stupid things. At that moment in time, I said, okay, God, I said, I, I, I prayed to him and I said, thank you so much for letting me live this long. You must see something in me that is worth letting live and my brother, because this is two people. That's what even makes it more supernatural is you have two people who are living the same life, but in two different instances and environments that were very volatile and very dangerous. And so many times where we should have been removed and we weren't. I said, give me something that's going to allow me to create wealth so I can provide for my family when I have one. And also, there's no other reason you left me here unless you needed me to help change this world because it needs to, it, there's a lot of people that need to come together to help change this world. And maybe I have to be one of them. My brother has to be one of them. My little brother, he's been another one who's been you know, saved so many different times from death and jail. And so you have three different people in the same family who have lived through circumstances that most people die from or go to jail for, and we're still here. And we all have our stories and different places and different ways that we got to where we're going or where we're at now, where we're going. And so I think that that can be beneficial. Bottom line is, is that at that point, I said, okay, God, I'm here. I'm here to serve you. Whatever I need to do 
to do that. Three months later, my friend and I were sitting around and uh, he just got back from NASCAR tech, so school for mechanics. I said, hey man, would you mark or would you fix people's cars if I marketed the service online? And he said, yeah, sure. So I went to Craigslist and I made an ad for free and I put up mobile mechanic. The next thing you know, we started getting calls. And in the first week we went out and we did very well for just starting a business. We did a couple thousand dollars in revenue and labor revenue, which is all us. I mean, no parts, that's just labor. It was amazing, but it was also awakening. I sat there and watched somebody work extremely hard for that week and bleed and sweat and be dirty. I mean, I made the calls come in, but I didn't value myself at that point. So here's another business experience is I went from making tons of money and being a boss in a way, my own boss and having people that work for me. And then I come into a situation that's, you know, let's call it a legal situation now. And I'm watching somebody legally work to make money. I'm like, man, this guy needs all the money. So I gave him literally all the money, but $300 the first week. So that was a bad <laughs> expectation to set for someone who, you know, for a partner, someone who you just start working with. And it took me many years to understand how to pay myself and value what I did and bring, brought to the company. Um, and so that was something I had to learn. And I'll go back. I just want to come off the statement for a second or come off subject for a second, because what I mean by that is that something I had to learn, it cost me money. There's so many times where I have to learn and it cost me money. Like I literally just got done spending $200,000 learning. And I did it over two years. So it's only a hundred grand a year. But how much is the um, tuition to Harvard or Yale? Yeah, it's a lot, you know, similar on par to that. Exactly. I guarantee you that I got more out of that 200 grand than anybody who goes to Harvard or Yale, except for the network that they get to build. I cannot devalue the network, okay? Because <laughs> network is networks, all right? So they have that over me, and that's okay. That means I have to hustle a little bit harder, and I'm down with that because I like to work hard. There is no right way. There's only your way, and your way becomes the way if you learn and grow from your experiences. But if you don't learn and you don't grow from your experiences, then your way will never be the way. But people get stuck by trying to say, hey, look how this guy did it. Look how that per that woman did it. Like, I need to be like them and do it like them. I need to have the same rituals. I need to wake up at the same time. I need to work as many hours. I need to X, Y, Z. No, everybody is completely different. We've all been created ex completely different from anybody around you. There's not one person that's like you. So why do you expect that you're going to get to where you want to go by being like someone that's else? No, 100% truth. I mean, oftentimes you hear a lot of people give advice. And the fact is, just like you said, everybody has something else that works for them. It's like someone who's like six foot six telling everyone, hey, you should be in the NBA because that's the most way to make money, right? And you tell someone who's five for that, that's just not realistic. Everybody has something different that applies to them. So you started that car company and how did that grow? What was that journey like? Yeah, so I got off subject, but so proficient automobile mechanics. So I, I remember I went to God, I said, give me something that was going to give back to the people and generate money. The first week we went to a trailer park and to, to fix somebody's car. And I drove them to, their kids had to go to school. So I took them and their kids to drop them off at school and then took her back and then got her kids back at the end of the day while we fixed her car. We were there all day long. In the same week, we were going to, you know, a wealthy neighborhood. I started to see that auto repair was allowing me to be, to reach people on every level. It didn't matter what walk of life, where you came from, what you believe in, what color your skin is, what language you speak. When you have a car, and it breaks, we're all on the same level. Auto repair to me, I forgot to make, mention one of the main reasons. Yes, I prayed for this, but in addition to praying for it, like you get an idea that's put on your, um, 
the mind or your heart or your soul, however you want to define it. And then you're supposed to act upon that and think about it and talk about it with yourself or with others, depending on your process. But with mobile auto repair, I was doing a little bit of real estate. That's what I did for three years. Like, you know, yeah, I did that the other thing, but I got into real estate and I really enjoyed it and I loved it. But at one point I said, I got tired of doing deals and sometimes they'd fall through and I'd lose money, a lot of money. I said, you know, I got to move up the food chain. Everybody needs a house. And that's why I focused on a house because remember I moved out at 15. So I'm in a mindset of necessities. I have no backup plans. I can't fail. So everything that I do has to make sense. One plus one equals two. That's success. People, success is a mathematical equation. People don't, you know, some, the, the people who are successful understand and believe that, but the ones who haven't created the success that they'd like to can't understand that concept yet, but they need to, because if they did, they'd work hard, they'd work, you know, less and generate more success is a mathematical equation. So for me, it said, Hey, I'm going to focus on houses because everybody needs a roof over their head. So I got into real estate. But then when I got tired of, you know, selling homes and losing money, when they would, you know, I'd spend money on taking them to dinner and, you know, driving them around and whatever it might be. And I'm 18 at the time, 19. So I have to spend a little bit more money than most people because I'm young and I have to prove myself. Um, then they'd buy a house or build a house somewhere else. I lose the money. So I said, I got to move up the food chain. So I said, Hey, everybody needs a car to pay for the house. So that's how mobile auto repair came was in addition to praying for it. But, and, and when I say God lined it up because I came up with that idea and then next thing you know, I've got Nick from NASCAR tech sitting in front of me. So I moved up the food chain to fix cars. And then by giving back, I said, okay, if I could save people 30 to 50% on a necessity, because you're going to have to pay to get your car fixed, it's going to happen. But if I could save you 30 to 50%, that's 30 to 50% of money that you can now put back into your pocket that you never would have had otherwise. You can save it, you can spend it back into the economy, but I saved you 30 to 50% on a necessity. And then I said, if I can pay the mechanics more money, because the mechanics are taken advantage of. They're paid like 15, 20 bucks an hour if they're really good, maybe 25. And, and I'm, I'm talking about the majorities, not the, like, not the you know smaller cases out there that you know they're making 40, 50 bucks an hour. I'm talking about the guys who literally work for dealerships. They work for the franchises. And they don't have the mentality to build wealth because a lot of them don't grow up with that education. These larger organizations take advantage of that because they use these guys until they can't turn wrenches anymore. But unfortunately for the guys that that can't turn wrenches anymore. They didn't have the education, the time of growing up, nor over the time of working, because no one took the time to give it to them, that they could have saved for certain things and like retirement and 401k and their their family and so forth. So they come to an age, and not all of them, you know, there's a lot of guys in the dealership setting that, get, that understand retirement and they, they plan for it. But a majority of mechanics, they come to a, a place in their life where they can't work on cars anymore. So what are they going to do? So I said, all right, well, if I can pay mechanics 3250 an hour that's enough money to build wealth in the long term and it's enough money to increase their lifestyle i said okay i'm going to pay mechanics 3250 an hour and i'll save you know the customers 30 to 50 percent and that's auto you know proficient auto and that's how it's grown and uh, you know i knew at that time it was it was when google was first coming out i said hey when i want to go to a restaurant i type in italian restaurant and i go to the first one that pops up most of the time now we don't do that but we used to do that I said, okay, well, that tells me if I if I want to be found, I need to be on Google. So I went on Google and made the you know the landing page, the business page, and then I went and made a website, and then I saw that hey, yellow pages and, and super pages, which are not around anymore, and, and all these different yeah, all these different uh, listing portals pay all this money to be at the first page of Google. So I said, but they love Google wants the authority, and I said these pages love to have um, reviews and content. 
So I said, I'll build out my profiles on each of these pages and I'll make sure that, you know, customers are writing reviews. And so at that point, Google starts to pick me up and organically puts me to the top. And so I've been number one on Google for, you know, nine out of the 11 years that we've been in business and all of the business, except for over a two year period where I invested some money has been generated organically. And we've grown 30% organically every year. You have a business that's growing 30% with no money spent on marketing. It's because it's a necessity. It's auto repair, right? And it's saving people 30 to 50%. That was the business that allowed me to help people and allowed me to create enough money to provide for myself, for my family, but then gave me money to invest in other companies. And that's how I was able to start my other companies moving forward. So what was the next company you started? So Proficient Auto. So, and how many years later did you start the next company? So it took me five years to get Proficient Auto to an automation status. So it, it took me five years to where I could set it up and say, hey, I've, I found the right team to put them in place and I can move forward and I don't have to put any effort into Proficient Auto and it'll still grow. Now it'll never be at 110%, but if I could get it to 80% and not be there, then we're winning. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. No one's ever going to get the business operating in a small business, not a large business, but in a small business, no one's going to get the business operating the way that you operate it because no one has the passion and the interest that you have. When I say interest, more than just interest that you, you know, liking it, but interest financially in it. If you can get that business to run it 70 to 80%, then you're good to go. It's still scalable. At five years, I was able to move off away from that business and it was able to operate at 70 to 80% and still grow. I could sacrifice that 30% because I could go to start another company. See, a lot of people say, um, a friend, his name is Scott Wingo. He founded Channel Advisor. And he's also got a startup now that he's been a part of for a few years called Spiffy. He's the CEO and it's a mobile car wash. I love Scott. He's, he's such a great guy. He loves the entrepreneurial community and he gives back so much. And so Scott Wingo, look him up. You're definitely worth you know following. He told me, Robert, you know, I go deep and you go wide. He's 100% right. Society tells you that you must go deep. You must focus on one thing. But that's not my strategy. And I told you there is no right way. There's only one way and that's your way. If it's right if you go and learn from your experiences and from my experiences that i have taken in over the years and i've learned from and grew from i build a portfolio of companies tapping trillions of dollars of industry and i know that if i slowly but surely build those companies that one they will generate the revenue that's required to change the world and provide for me and my family and it may take a long time but it'll happen or two they'll slowly but surely grow and i'll get investment or people will come in and provide the resources needed to grow faster and larger because of the industries I'm tapping and what I'm working on. And so I slowly but surely build organizations and I do it organically, meaning no money. So if I can hit the milestones and revenue that I do with, without spending any money in marketing, and then you have companies that have hundreds of millions of dollars to spend and they can't even generate a profit, you know, it shows you because the one thing I like about, um, and I may get off topic, but I'm sorry, but I want to. No, yeah, yeah, no need. This. No need to say sorry. You know, share your story. Share what you want to share. All right. Well, let's go back to. This is how fucked up society is. Okay. All the businesses that have started in the past that were billion dollar companies, they grew slow. Some took you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. They are still profitable. Maybe not as much because there are, you know, things are eating away at their market share. But then you get companies that grow overnight in the billion dollar companies. Very few of them are worth their money. Like Facebook is worth their money because of advertising, right? Uber, WeWork. Yeah, a lot of companies that are just losing money. Yeah, they're losing money, but they're worth billions of dollars. Now it's called a Ponzi scheme. It's like smoking mirrors. And so what it is is that people are forgetting like society is fucking everybody's mind up. 
to a point where they think they have to be like the smoking mirror and the fake people, the people who fake it all the way till they make it. The real business owners, the one who work hard every day, the one who slowly but surely grow their business, not because they have an injection of cash, simply because they offer a, product, a valuable product or service and they simply they grow with their clients, they grow with their city. I, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, and, and I have offices up and down the East Coast and in other countries. People say, why do you stay in Raleigh? Um, Adam Newman, I met him in Shanghai from WeWork. He wanted to invest in my companies, and I turned down his investment. I'm glad that I did. You know, Adam told me, he's like, Robert, you need to move to New York. You can't prosper the way that you deserve to prosper in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I totally disagree with that because Raleigh, I started here because I said, I want to start in a city that has not sprouted yet, like New York City, like Miami, like, you know, LA. I want to start a city that might be like that one day, but that's not that like that yet because that's what a smart investor does. So I started Proficient Auto in Raleigh and it grows 30% every year without any money invested because Raleigh grows every year. That's how businesses should grow. They stay profitable. They don't need cash injection to be profitable and they grow with their population. They grow with their customer base. Society has trained you to think that you must be the WeWork or you know the uh, Uber or the Airbnb or all these big companies who go out and get a bunch of funding because they built an app. But in reality, it's not sustainable. Like Uber, they need to have so many drivers available to serve the amount of clients that need to have, be driven around. That the only way to do it is to flood the, the roads with drivers. Well, if you do that, then no one makes any money. They're banking on self-driving cars, but who knows when that actually happens, And right? Yeah, self-driving cars and flying cars. That's the only way Uber makes money and is profitable. And it's definitely possible. But look at Tesla. Look at how Tesla grew their business. Tesla, did they have a profitable quarter, I think? With the model? I think they recently they did. They did yeah. have some profitable quarters. Exactly, dude. They paid back their loan to the government with interest, right? You know, slowly but surely. Now, you know, he's a different story, you know, getting a bunch of cash and injecting it and making it grow. But the majority of startups are being led down a shitty path and they're going to fail because of the training and, you know, that they're receiving from, you know, watching and listening to the current landscape. I completely agree with you because oftentimes these startups, they need so much. They need to spend whatever, 50, 100K a month in marketing that's spend on this and that. But then you have these small businesses, like you said, yours, minimal marketing spend, and yet they're profitable. So that when your businesses actually do get cash injections, it's just like, okay, now we could grow so much faster because we're already growing. Yes, yes and no. So that goes back to, you know, going to school. I, I invested some cash into Proficient Auto and, you know, I grew revenue 76% within a matter of short two months to compare to the year prior. I did it, but guess what? I didn't plan. So I scaled up and I thought that the team I had in place could scale with me and I was totally wrong. I lost. How didn't they scale up? Like what vision did you have and sort of what did they expect and what were the differences? Okay, so I told you earlier, the two of the most important things I believe that everybody should have in order to be successful, regardless of where they're at in life and what they're doing, is emotional intelligence and be able to read people. When you work, like we talked about the mentality of mechanics and how they don't necessarily plan for their retirement and build wealth. As a smaller business, you're relying on these mechanics and it works. And if one falls off, you can, you know, the wheel falls off, you can replace it, right? But if all the wheels fall off at one time, well, it's really hard to do replace them. You know, everything's working fine. And then you invest this money and you grow. But as you grow, you know, new rules and regulations come into play and new operations and systems come into play. And when you don't have a growth set mentality, 
and you're used to a certain environment, there's friction that's created. And it's not intentional. It's basically because, you know, you haven't been trained to, you know, operate in a in friction environment. They start to complain and, and there starts to become problems within, you know, management because they don't want to listen to things that they that we we did it this way for the last four years. Why should we change? kind of thing. There starts to become difficult to manage. And so you start to lose them one by one. And the next thing you know, you lose a couple at one time and, you know, you just increased your revenue, but you also increased your overhead. And now the revenue just decreased and the the overhead stayed the same. I call it the five P's. Proper preparation prevents piss poor performance. And basically, I didn't practice my five P's because I wasn't prepared. And because of that, I showed piss poor performance. You know, I learned it though. And it cost me $200,000. And I also learned the scale of, you know, another thing is the services like Proficient Auto, as much as we, we fix cars every day now. But if I want to scale that service up across the country, it's not as scalable as I thought it was because of the personnel issues and then the part issues. And there's so many different issues that we could talk about, which we won't. But I learned a lot that now I know how to scale up so that I remove those risks. Mm. Now Proficient Auto, right, it's at a good point. When the next company come in? Yeah, so sorry. Five years, uh, Proficient Auto. I, I came to a point where I could leave it. I went to Aerial Look. I knew drones. It was in 2014. And drones were kind of out there, but they weren't really mainstream. And I said, you know, I want to do something with drones. And so um, I got together. I had a, a friend of mine. He's a tech guy, um, a really good. Um, he's an engineer in terms of, you know, engineer, but also software engineer. He's a coder and very talented. And so I said, you know, we hung out a lot and said, hey, man, these drones are coming. Let's try to do something with it. And so he could build a drone. And so I had these ideas to build like an agriculture drone and a flying cell phone tower and so forth. And so we started to put these um, ideas, these concepts, you know, on the paper and build them. And I was funding it myself, you know, with Proficient Auto. But when you're doing research and development in the drone industry, at the time that we were doing it, it gets becomes very expensive. So it becomes so expensive that I can't just fund it with Proficient Auto. So I said, man, remember, I'm a hustler. I moved out at 15. Or I don't know how to receive money unless I go work for it. So I say, well, we need money to grow. Uh, the normal society has taught you, well, then go raise money. Well, what society taught you that, but what historical data taught me was that I can go create the revenue on my own and use that revenue to grow. Because that's what all the other companies that didn't live in this day and age did to grow and become billion-dollar companies. I know that I was in real estate, and I know that if we could provide these real estate videos to realtors, um, they would pay for it. So we had a drone that we built and had a camera on it with no gimbal. But I would take it out and I'd fly over houses and I'd charge realtors sixty to hundred bucks, and the realtors would pay it. So next thing you know, we're generating thousands of dollars at a time in revenue selling drone videos. It's funding our development. But then it starts to take off and we become to be, oh man, we've got so much business over here. How are we going to continue to manage building these drones and trying to service the service part of the business? And so I decided to pivot and I said, okay, well, let the other guys come. Here's another thing that I learned, right? You have software companies. They develop software. They spend millions and millions of dollars, sometimes more hardware and software. And then they bring it to market without a market share. And they have to spend money to acquire that market share, but they're in a saturated marketplace. Everybody tells you, oh, build a technology, build a technology. Don't build technology. Fuck technology. Let someone else do it. It's too difficult. It's too expensive. Build market share. You're going to be so much more, you're better off and, and more profitable if you build market share. You have the control. You hold the key if, if you build market share. So 
you know, you've got with Aero Look, I said, hey, I, we could continue to try to build this software, but every time we build it, we're going to be, you know, we're going to go up against somebody who's more well funded, and it, we may not have the opportunity to capture the market share that's required to grow. So I said, let's go into the service part of the business and build market share. Because with market share, when technology, new technology comes to the market, they need to access market share. And if you hold the key to the market share, then you get to benefit from that access and you pro- by providing that access. We pivoted over to servicing real estate and other industries with drones. And then when I was, uh, I got married, forget what year it is. So hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this. <laughs> but anyways, I got married and it, we were in Bora Bora. It was probably in 15, but we were hanging out and we met some, met a couple and became friends with them. And when I got back to the States, I was reading an article, I think the Huffington Post, and I thought of, I read about this guy, you know, 3D technology. And it was my, it was the Leon, Leon, who I met in um, Bora Bora. So I called Leon and I said, hey man, I got to get my hands on one of those cameras because, you know, we had the exterior taken care of and we need something for the interior. He says, well, I have an extra camera and it's one of the only ones in the United States. I'll, I'll sell it to you. So I said, okay, cool. Cause he's in Vancouver. So I bought the camera. And so for like the first eight, nine months, maybe I don't, it's been a while. So, I mean, it could be six months. It could have been nine months, but it was between six and nine months that I would say we had a camera and no one else had the technology in the United States other than like people working directly with the company in San Francisco. I said, okay, we got 3d for the interior. We got the drone for the exterior. And you know, now we got to sell it. Let's go get create recurring business because that's another thing is like people want to start a business, but they think that they need money to start a business or they think they need money to go get business generated. Meaning like I need to go spend on AdWords or Facebook marketing, whatever it might be. And yes, that, that is hypothetically that works and it's better to have that. But when you don't have access to that, then you have to be smart. You have to think about what products and services can you sell or how can you middleman deals in order to create revenue so that you can take that. Basically, when you want to start a business, you can do it the traditional way of raising money or getting loans and spending that money on marketing and advertising. Or you can do it the untraditional way, which is the better way, and create opportunities for yourself. When I got the 3D camera and I had this drone video, I would say, okay, where's the revenue at? Like, yes, it's great to get revenue from realtors, but they don't have a lot of money to spend. And I need recurring revenue. And so I thought larger organizations. You know, you go to larger organizations and you say, okay, what product or service can I offer these larger organizations that they'll buy a lot of? And not only will they buy a lot of, they are in other markets. And so when I want to expand to another market, I can, once I've proven myself and earned their business in one market, I can say, hey, let me get your business in, in, in New York. And you grow with that company. And now instead of getting rev- a loan or, or venture capital to grow, you utilized your product and service to grow by going to an organization and growing with that organization. Like I'd go to the Ritz Carlton and stay at a hotel room and I'd go scan it for free. It took me four years of scanning hotel rooms to get the uh, Ritz Carlton's business. But I gave them, I had a resource, a 3D camera and, and drone video. So I would go give these hotels that I would stay at when I was traveling, free 3D tour and a drone video. That earned me business. Or if I'm driving down the road and I see a, a new home construction going on, I'd fly the drone over and I'd send that drone video to the builder as a gift or the developer as a gift. And they'd call me right away because I just gave them a gift. Yeah. High value. It was relevant to them. You know, they want to sell you what they tried to sell the other person. And everybody wants, you can't do that. You have to tailor fit it. So instead of sending a developer, a builder, a drone video that I made of another builder or developer's community, I send him one of his own because now it's relevant to him. You know, for realtors, I tell them, you know, and I have a real estate company that's 
we can talk about for briefly, but I tell realtors that, you know, you want to capture someone's attention in the neighborhood, show them a drone video on social media of their neighborhood. They may not be interested in buying or selling right now, but they're going to look into what you're, what, what's going on because it's re- of relevance to them. The untraditional methods to generate revenue is very much suggested. Okay. You got into the VR and you got into the, the drone videography and that took off. What's the scaling thing on that? What was the strategy on that? All right. Well, I've pivoted so many different times throughout the last um, six years in January. But the one main core of the business was data gathering. Okay. Because again, I can't go create the technology, but if I can get the data, I'm valuable. I've been utilizing Aerial Look to data gather and it's been gathering data for my real estate company, which I came up with the concept back in 15, but I just launched it about a year, a little over a year ago. At so many different points. At first, we wanted to, you know, build drones, and then we wanted to change the way you experience real estate. And now it's, you know, hospitality and, and you know, venues and shopping centers. And now we're trying to work with shopping centers and malls to create digital rent opportunities for them. And then we're trying to utilize all the data that we're getting from these, you know, video views and 3D tour views, and say, where is this data the most valuable? How can we put it in buckets to say, you know, break it up in demographics? so that we can then go to a brand and say, hey, we have access to this demographic and it's all coming from the service business. So I'm utilizing the service business to build data because right now data is the new oil. And so in the beginning, that wasn't our goal, but now it is. And now it just so happened that we've been building, gathering data for so long, we weren't planning on utilizing the data that we're the way we're utilizing it now, but I didn't know what I know now. I would have never learned this in school no degree podcast and yeah you know, and so like that's the other thing i want i would have never learned this stuff in school and i try i'm trying to bring up as many different opportunities that i've experienced and ta- and what i've taken away from it not because i want you to go you know do the same thing but simply because i want you to start analyzing your situation and your opportunities not you but maybe you but anybody who's listening start to analyze what's going on in your life where you're at right now and what it took to get you to this point and I think that once you start to do that, you can start to see how things are lining up. And when you see things line up, it makes you feel so much better about all the hard work that it's taken to get there and all the failures and all, all those successes. And you start to say, well, wait a second, look at where I'm at right now. And if it wasn't for this one time five years ago, then I wouldn't be here where I'm at today. And then once you've looked at it that way, I want you to take it one more step. I'm not telling what you what to believe or, you know, it doesn't matter where, what religion you are. All I'm saying is, is we have a creator. Believe mine to be God. God hooks it up. He puts the people in your life when they need to be put in your life. He puts you through the, the situations that you need to be put through in order to get you to where you're going to be going now and where you'll be in the future. And see, people don't understand. They'll go to the gym and they'll work hard and they'll train to be buff or to be healthy. And then they want to go start a business and want it to be successful overnight. And then when they fail, they want to go home and cry about it. But in reality, that failure is going to the gym every day and training to be strong and to be healthy. That's the business has to be trained. You have to be trained. You have to go through these certain, you know, we call them hills and valleys, right? You have to go through the valleys in order to get to the top, to the peak. And you have to keep going to the valleys and to the peak. And to the, the peak is there so that you can see the end peak, the tallest part that you're trying to reach, right? 
But you have to go through those valleys because you have to be trained. God provides us that training and he's never let me down. And so I, I talk about going back and thinking about times when you met somebody and because you met that person, now you're in this opportunity or you're in this position um, or you went to school and, and you know, whatever. It's so many different opportunities that you can look back and everybody that's listening can look back in their life and, and realize, you know, and they can put two and two together and you'll be investing in the future of real estate, which is 0% commissions. Just want to thank you for your time. You have such an interesting story and I know the audience will definitely learn a lot. So how would someone get in contact with you? I'll tell you what, um, God blesses us so we can bless others. And so I'm really happy to talk to anybody who's looking for any kind of um, feedback. Again, I don't want you to follow me or listen to me for every word that I say. I want you to you know, create a hybrid. A hybrid is so powerful. So maybe take some of the things that we talked about and then um, see how they might apply to you or the mythology might apply to you. But I'm happy to help you figure out what that mythology is and how to apply it and to create that hybrid because I want all of us to, to succeed and learn together. And that's why I love what you're doing here and, and what a lot of the people that you associate with LinkedIn are doing. Definitely, you can get with me on LinkedIn. Um, I think that's the best place to get with me is on LinkedIn. Okay, cool. So I'll have an episode of Robert's profile in the show notes. Again, thank you for your time. And thank you for all the listeners. This has been another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Looking forward and hope you got a lot out of this episode. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information is valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics about bias. If you think this show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated, and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect, or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal. Spelled J-O-N-A-E-D. Last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time. No degree, no problem. No degree.com. Yeah. Talk to so, me. you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem, we can solve we them. We got this. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. Growing in the knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Didn't know, now you know Let's sing that again, everybody No degree, no problem Any problem, we can solve them LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving We're growing in the knowing The wisdom is flowing If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going No degree, no problem Any problem, we can solve them LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving We're growing in the knowing The wisdom is flowing If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, yeah.